The Offseason Podcast is presented by Leinen Kugels. Since 1867, Leinen Kugels has been brewing some of the most delicious, refreshing beers around. And right now, you can get yourself a Snowdrift Vanilla Porter. It's a fuller-bodied brew with hints of cocoa, coffee, and caramel brought out by roasted malts and aged on real vanilla. The Leinen Kugels Snowdrift Vanilla Porter is smooth and creamy, making it ideal for what seems to be winter hanging around with uh, with snow coming down in Midland the last couple of days. So raise one to winter with Line and Kugels. Welcome to the Liney side. That's Jacob Line and Kugel Brewing Company, Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. Please enjoy your Lineys responsibly. We're back after a month hiatus. Uh, we've been quarantined just like everybody else. And so we have the band back together again to do uh, a version of the podcast through Zoom, like everybody else has been doing, and a lot to get caught up on as well. So we'll talk Lions. Uh, we'll, we'll get into some basketball that I'm sure Brad and Blake want to talk about, maybe get a little NBA in. Um, and we'll also talk about what's been going on with the radio station as well. No baseball, so no Loons opening day this week at Dow Diamond. We'll talk about that and uh, get Josh Baker involved throughout, throughout the show and do quick hits to, uh, to wrap it up. So without further ado... This week's episode, or this month's episode, of the Offseason Podcast. ESPN 100.9 FM presents the Offseason Podcast. Recorded every week inside the ESPN 100.9 FM studios, high atop Dow Diamond. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, or at ESPN1009.com. It is the off-season podcast. Matt DeVries, Blake Froling, and Brad Tunney with you. Josh Baker as well, our producer for the podcast. And uh, good to be back with everyone after uh, a month off. We talked basketball last time, guys, and uh, seemingly wasn't expecting a, a full shutdown like we got. But uh, it seemed in a matter of days we were all quarantined, and, and now we're, uh, we're stuck at home. And this is the way we're working now through Zoom, just like the rest of the world. I can't say I even remember what we talked about on the last episode. It's just blank. We talked about Amani Bates a little bit. I do remember talking about that, getting ready for the for the show, putting the rundown together. So we did talk about that a little bit. But um, you know, getting started with this week's show, I think I just want to give uh, you guys a chance to update everyone. We haven't had a chance to talk to our listeners directly in, in a long time, um, and and it's not that the radio station hasn't been busy. It just just wasn't with Blake doing high school basketball and getting ready for the NCAA tournament, but still a lot's been going on, Brad, with, uh, with 100.9. Yeah. And Amani Bates, by the way, national player of the year. You guys saw that? Well, we'll get to it in the third segment. If you first ever sophomore to do it, if you would check the rundown, you would see that we would be talking about it. Well, even in quarantine, some things don't change. Uh, so yeah, things have been, uh, still somewhat busy at the radio station, obviously not as busy as, uh, things would have been if there were Loons baseball right now, um, there was Loons baseball, but uh, the throwback broadcast series that we've kind of uh, started during this has been, uh, I think, a success. The games themselves have been great, and uh, um, the the product is always solid, getting them from Spartan Sports Network or from ourselves doing high school games or Loons games from the past, and uh, people seem to be receiving it well via the website. Uh, Numbers are 
uh, trending up, which is good, uh, as opposed to it being dormant, uh, which obviously has the possibility to take place in a time like this with very limited sports content. Um, I know from my perspective, it's cool listening back to what I sounded like four years ago. Uh, what uh, I, uh, I had that epiphany when we were listening to the Saginaw Midland game. Uh, it's kind of crazy to think that it's been four years since that game. I mean, I, I still have snapshot images of that game in particular, the Bay City Central game, or the game that was at BCC between Saginaw and Midland, still having mental pictures in my head of that game, thinking it was like two years ago, and it was actually over four years ago now that that game took place in March of 2016. So to hear it audibly and to kind of reconnect the visuals from those games, the game in particular that Blake and I spent a good amount of time talking about was the Kentucky-Michigan State game from the mid-2000s. The, what was it, Pat, Pat Sparks? Oh, yeah. Pat Sparks, toe on the line or not? I don't know. Yeah. Mentally still having that image in my head, the exact TV I was watching on in my childhood home, and uh, that that has stuck with me for this many years. And a lot of the other mental images, the, the Midland Dow game that we had a chance to watch two years ago from the back of a van that they set up for us because the press box uh, uh, obviously had some issues. And uh, it was – a lot of those mental images coming back up because of those broadcasts uh, that yeah. were on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturdays. When I was listening to the Saginaw Midland game, I completely forgot that Eric Krause and Julian Taylor almost threw hands on the sideline, like at midcourt. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, they almost got in a physical altercation. I couldn't believe that. And then the, the mother from the near side of the sideline ran onto the court and started barking at an official during a free throw attempt. And we're just like, what? is going on. Yeah, that was, it's been a lot of fun to listen back to him for sure. Um, Blake, how many, uh, how, how many different old sporting events have you gone back and watched too many to count? You know, not as many as I thought I would originally. I thought, you know, we got all this free time. I'm just going to go back, watch everything possible. And I've watched some old games. I watched a little bit of the uh, Pistons 1990 NBA finals. Uh, games, uh, seeing Clyde Drexler just dominate and still lose in five games was interesting. Seeing all those old broadcasts where there's no scoreboard, something that we take for granted nowadays, and how frustrating that is to go like 15 minutes of watching a game and not knowing the score or how much time is left. Like I don't know how people lived with that. But, but aside from a couple of those old games, I really haven't watch too many old ones just highlight clips here and there but it's been a relatively sports free quarantine for me except when we get snapchats from blake brad of him, him watching old michigan state football games and, and just saying yeah i'm still a slap and i still have to watch no matter what yep i did a couple of those you know you got to get little little pieces here and there uh, yeah, i'm uh, i'm excited i haven't watched very many throwback games either on tv uh if, if it is, it's been a lot of the Pistons, uh, 04 Pistons run. Um, I watched, I've seen, I've watched game seven of the 05 finals now. Wow. Um, against the Spurs twice during this quarantine. I don't think uh, I can bring myself to watch that. Yeah. Just uh, kind of painful, uh, painful to watch the Pistons on offense during that era. Truthfully. Uh, I know it was a, teams that we loved, but my goodness, those teams were dreadful offensively at times. Uh to think about how they would fare in today's NBA would be uh, a little challenging, but uh, I've seen, yeah, I've seen that game twice. Unfortunately, I've watched some games from the 04 finals. Um, 
I'm really excited about the Jordan docuseries that's coming out. That's going to kind of take up a lot of my sports bandwidth during this time. Um, so I'm excited for that. Baker, have you taken advantage of either the access on YouTube or what Fox Sports Detroit has done? I know their championship week is coming up with uh, FSD. They're going to show, you know, the Tigers clinchers, the Pistons clincher, and then all those Red Wings clinchers. And not many game sixes or sevens for the Red Wings. They, they swept a couple times and they won a Stanley Cup in five. Um, I had forgotten about those back in 02, but um, have you watched any of the Red Wings stuff? Um, I really haven't watched anything of the, of the old sports and, and trying to relive those moments. Um, the sports content I've been taking in has been the, uh, the MLB players league where they have all 30 players playing as their teams against each other. And, um, for people who don't know for Gavin the Dodgers, Gavin Lux, yeah, Gavin Lux is, is playing for the Dodgers in, in that league. And it's, it's pretty cool to, it's it's a video game, but just the the banter between the two players while they play the game and stuff, and cool stories like one between um, I think it was Chris Taylor and uh, or Chris Tucker and um, Hunter Pence playing in Pittsburgh and San Francisco. They had good moment on the field, and then were reminiscing about it when they played each other the other night. Yeah, that's all. That's been fun. I know Joey Gallo um, was off to a hot start with the Rangers, but yeah, our boy Gavin Lux, a guy. Uh, Brad's familiar with from when he came through Midland after he was drafted in the first round by the Dodgers to and a Midwest kid people probably forget um, from Wisconsin um, and then made it out to, to LA before we uh, get on with the rest of the show Blake I think uh, we would be remiss if we didn't give a shout out to, to Brad's girlfriend Haley who's uh, been on the front lines working during this entire coronavirus uh, outbreak uh, she is um, a uh, respiratory therapist at the local hospital here in Midland. And I would want to make sure that she gets special kudos for what she's been doing um, throughout this, uh, this whole thing. When we've been, all we've had to do is sit in quarantine at home and not go see everybody else, let alone going to the hospital six days in a row. I, I appreciate that. I jokingly think that I'm just as essential as she is because, you know, I've, you know, I've got to clean the house more regularly, right. you know, play with the dogs and, uh, yeah. but no, all joking aside. Yeah. She is, uh, she is uh, obviously Midland has not been hit as as much as other areas of the state, which is good. Um, but even then, there are challenges that come with this virus that she doesn't interact with on a daily basis. And she's been in the COVID unit this week in particular. That um, you know, are new challenges. It's very hot in there. She's like dripping with sweat uh, at all times of the day for twelve and a half hours while wearing a mask. Her face has marks on it when she comes home, and she smells a little bit and. Uh, so yeah, it's just it's it's just new challenges, and even even when the hospital only maybe has one, two, or three COVID cases, it adds that much of a bigger challenge uh, for something that you know most of these people have not interacted with, and uh, higher pressure just because of what uh, the cases entail from a care perspective, and yeah, the, everything that they're doing I think is uh, should not be lost in uh, in uh, how people are viewing what uh, they can and cannot do right now. And I think that's something that's come out of this entire thing. Our society in the last month or the first month of all of this is, I think a lot of people have tried to go above and beyond to try and recognize the essential workforce. And that's not just people that are working in hospitals, but it's all of the first responders. You hear sirens every day. I mean, there are fire trucks still out there. Ambulances and police are still, still out there working every single day. 
You still have people checking you out at Meyer or Kroger or Family Fair, wherever you are. If you're getting takeout, or you think you need your fix with McDonald's Coke, I mean, you're, you're able to go and do that. There are people that are doing that for you. And I think that society, at least for the first month, has done a good job of making sure that those people are recognized and not forgotten that even though we're all sitting at home and some people are viewing it as a, as a mini vacation where they don't have to go into the office, there are still a lot of people that are still still getting out there and doing uh, doing a lot of work that is, that is much needed. So um, with that, we'll get on to Lions. We'll talk uh, a little bit of golf. We'll talk no NCAA tournament, baseball, and we still have Quicket. So a lot to get to on this month's episode of the Offseason Podcast. This is the Offseason Podcast with your local sports leader, ESPN 100.9 FM. Back with you for another episode after uh, going into quarantine. We took a little bit of a hiatus, but we are back. And we want to talk Lions. Uh, haven't had a chance to sit down and, and talk about the Lions with everything that's been going on. Free agency has happened almost exclusively in quarantine. Um, and the Lions roster looks a, a lot different than it did a month, month and a half ago. Before we get to the offseason moves, <laughs> Snacks Harrison decided to uh, take to Twitter. Um, and tweeted a lot uh, a couple days ago um, and really went after just about everybody, Blake, that that was trying to criticize his move and uh, his decision to not even pick up the phone when, when Bob Quinn called uh, after he was traded from the Giants to the Lions. What did you make of Snacks' comments? Well, would you pick up the phone if you found out you got traded to the Lions? I mean oh, – If I was getting uh, traded away from the Giants, maybe. <laughs> yeah, not, not much different, I suppose, but – You've got the 50-plus years of losing. You've got a coach with a bad reputation now around the league in terms of how he interacts with his players, a GM that I think most people don't really trust right now. So he was making enough money. I think he was happy in New York and didn't want to go to a terrible franchise with the Lions, and I can fully understand it, and I bet he's not the first one and won't be the last one to do it. He's probably just the first one to – say it publicly, he's pretty much no filter when it comes to any of this stuff. And he hasn't been since he got to the Lions. And I, and I respect it. You know, he was honest about it. He said, I don't want to come to the Lions. But once he got there, he gave it his all and he didn't let it affect his play. So at least I respect that part of it. Yeah, Brent, I think a lot of people or there's a lot of sports fans out there that say, I don't want to hear the BS or just the PR statements from players all the time saying I'm happy to be in Detroit, blah, blah, blah. And then as soon as a guy like Snacks comes out and speaks his mind, they jump right down his throat. It's kind of the have your cake and eat it too. Yeah, I mean, it just sucks to hear that your team, if you're a Lions fan, is not a a destination or or a place that is well-received around the league, which I think for many people they know. And even if you're a Lions fan, you know, but you just don't want to hear it. You know what I mean? Like anything that you care about. You, I mean, if, you know, you got dogs and other people are like, oh, those dogs suck. Like, all right, I might know that, but like, I'm, I don't need you to tell me, you know what I mean? Or like you hear something truthful by yourself that you may already know. It's like, okay, that's fine. So for Lions fans that are very passionate about their team, even though they know they're not a, a very good franchise, it's like, well, all right, I don't need to hear it from some player who just left us high and dry. Uh, and not just – I mean, he didn't really leave you high and dry, but you traded for him and the expectations were so high. You got him on a great value from what he was when he was with the Giants, an all-pro defensive tackle, and then he never supplied what he was supposed to here. So not only was he a disappointment as a player based on the expectations that you had when he first arrived here, 
to no fault of his own. He battled injuries. He obviously didn't want to be here as much as he wanted to be in other places in his career. And then all of a sudden on the way out the door, he goes, oh, by the way, I never wanted to go there. You guys suck. Screw all of you. I took an extension and still left. So it's just just like you know something is true about yourself, and it's just like I don't need to hear it about you. And I think Lions fans kind of went through that range of emotions with a guy that they had high expectations for. Yeah, yeah, it was – it was. It kind of caught me off guard a little bit. You guys were talking about it in the group chat and I was like, I don't know, what did I miss? And then you get on Twitter and see, oh, this is what I missed. He is just openly cursing at Lions fans on Twitter, telling them to F off. And you're like, okay, wow, we're, we're going this route here. We're definitely, uh, um, and, you know, a, a, a very, a very fiery exit from Detroit for, for one snacks Harrison. But um, was there anything else Blake that you, you wanted to add before we get to the, the moves? Well, I mean, it's starting to become a trend now with Lions players. Darius Slay, even before he got traded, was on a firestorm on Twitter saying, I can't wait to be traded. You know, he's quote tweeting all the rumors saying, let's hurry this up. Like, it's becoming a pattern now with good players on the Lions not wanting to be there. And is that the player's fault? Or do you have to start looking at the team? It's just Mm -hmm. the culture that's with the Lions and Matt Patricia and, and Bob Quinn right now is whatever is happening behind the scenes, it's alienating these star players. And that does not bode well for the future if the Lions are trying to win now. It's, mm-hmm. it's certainly shortened the timeline for me in that whether you think that Matt Patricia should have been allowed to return this year or even Bob Quinn to a certain extent, like these are these are things that disorganized and dysfunctional franchises encounter on a yearly basis. And when these things start to stack up, lack of success, lack of accountability, little rumors here and there during the season, uh, injuries, whatever it may be, there's just a lot of dysfunction in the organization. And this just kind of adds to that pile of, okay, it doesn't seem like they're heading in the right direction. It, It shortens the leash for guys in the franchise publicly. And I would say internally too, that, like whether you thought Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia should have been gone before this offseason is fine. But if you thought they should have stayed, this certainly doesn't help their case of, oh, no, I think they're going to do good things in the future. It's like, no, like this is dysfunction. This is the Cleveland Browns. Like this is the Detroit Lions that we've had for decades. It just it shortens their their leash by a lot the more that these things happen. Yeah, and, and now, I mean, with with the free agency activity that we've seen so far, we'll have Josh Phillips in in just a second, plus the draft next week. I mean, it, it, it's been said before, and we're not stating anything new that's out there about the Lions. It's put up or shut up time with, with this group, Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia. You have to make good, sound decisions organizationally, one that can you hopefully win now and, and get them wins under their belt so they can keep their jobs from their perspective. Or if you're trying to think big picture, this thing crashes and burns and it's going to be the same thing all over again for the first, for the next three years with, with a new front office and new coaching staff. So uh, Josh, there were guys that a guy was traded. Some have been released, some signed elsewhere before we get to the new additions and guys that were brought back who left uh, Detroit in the last month. Well, the one trade would be Darius Slay. He went to Philadelphia for a third and fifth round pick. Uh, Two players were released in Rick Wagner and Devin Kennard. And then three players lost overall, and that was Graham, Glasgow, Ashawn Robinson, and Sam Martin. Yeah, so I think, guys, Slay obviously is the big one getting traded away, um, one of the best corners in the league. Um, you know, obviously didn't want to be in Detroit and 
he got his wishes to leave. They got something for him, Blake. I suppose that's all you can hope for with, with the Slay stuff. And then any other guys that left, anything jump off the page? Well, it really hurts the lines that Darius Slay is gone. Obviously, it wasn't because of his play, because he didn't want to be there, internal problems, whatever. You have to get something for him and probably could have gotten more if the rumors weren't so prevalent and the Lions weren't basically backed into a corner. So tough for the Lions to really win that trade. Uh, I was a little surprised to see Devon Kennard released. I, I thought he played really well for the Lions, and especially last year. Had a solid year for a unit that wasn't very good, and I thought he could have been a valuable piece in the linebacking core this year, but I guess the Lions saw it differently. Losing Graham Glasgow was kind of weird, too. It's like they didn't even try to keep him, even though he was really good on the offensive line. It was just like, okay, we'll see you later. We're fine here. There must be some master plan that we don't know about. But I thought that was a really big loss, along with Devon Kennard. And Ashawn Robinson, up and down, never saw his true potential. Sam Martin, punter, who cares? Yeah, I mean, punter, whatever, but I mean, punter, probably one of the most important positions on the Lions roster, to be frank. I mean, if they're punting all the time, you got to have someone that can do it. Uh, yeah, Graham Glasgow was the one that was really weird. Um, a position uh, that you need to have, you know, a strong unit, especially for an organization like the Lions, who continually have, you know, poor offensive lines, a guy that's promising, a young promising player to, to let him go like that was very weird. And and Brad, I suppose Slay, you have to let him go, right? There, there is nothing more you can do, and you have to get what you can. Yeah, and I don't know. I, I continue to say that it's like very similar to the Sioux situation many years ago. And I mean, we'll get to this in the draft stuff, but it's like any any folks in the Lions front office or in the fan base that thought, oh, Darius Slay will resign and he'll stay with us. You know, he's a Lion. He likes being here. He's a franchise player. Whatever just never read the tea leaves on obviously what was taking place, especially uh, after the activity during the season and then how the team played. And so you trade him. Unfortunately, you get something for him, unlike what you got for Sue. And now you're looking at a number three pick where a great cornerback is there, um, or at least a prospect that could fill those shoes. And it's one thing that they didn't do with the Sue draft after that was miss on Aaron Donald and not fill a position that ultimately became a great need that they really didn't fill until they got Snacks Harrison many years later, who has now gone as well. Like they're still uh, faced with the consequences of not thinking long-term in the lack of Sioux preparation. And at least they had some forward thinking in, and granted a new front office, but at least they had some forward thinking in trading Slay for something before he inevitably walked and they were left high and dry at a very important position. So now, I mean, before we get to, to that, that lurking selection at number three in the draft next week, uh, Baker guys that the, they brought back three guys of note from last year's squad, important to, to keep guys that, that are good contributors, but then they also dipped into the free agent market and picked up, well, I believe to be four significant signings that we'll, that we'll get to here in just a second. Who are those? Yeah, the first three that you talked about with the re-signings was Danny Amendola, Don Mulbach, and Miles Killebrew. And then going into the free agent, they signed offensive tackle Halapuli Vadi Vitae for five years at $45 million. Jamie Collins, three years at $30 million. 
Desmond Trufant, he's locked down for two years for $21 million. And then they also picked up Chase Daniel. Yeah, so uh, great pronunciation. We, we kind of threw a curveball at, at Baker there, but uh, pronounced it just a, as good as I would have been able to. But you bring back Amendola, Don Muehlbach, and Miles Killebrew, I think all fine signings. I guess, you know, nothing really of note there. But to go get Jamie Collins, yet another Patriot disciple that Matt Patricia worked with in the past. They try to fill the need, Brad, a little bit at that cornerback spot like you talked about bringing in Desmond Trufant, who analytically is a very solid cornerback if you just look at the numbers. And then they bring in Chase Daniel, who's probably the first legitimate backup uh, to, to be behind Matthew Stafford in quite a while. So uh, did anything, I mean, apart from committing $45 million to Vitae at offensive tackle, anything really jump off the page to, to either of you guys that, that good money, bad money spent by, by Bob Quinn? Not necessarily jumping off the page. The Jamie Collins stuff is interesting, obviously, because he's a former Patriot. But um, I don't know that that hasn't necessarily panned out for them. Uh, is just going and reaching in the bag of Bill Belichick's old pieces and trying to make them work. So I, I think I think Lions fans have ultimately, based on the lack of production the last few years from the from the roster, the whole oh we're just going to go find former Patriots and do things the Patriot way that that obviously hasn't worked. And I think it's already worn worn dry on Lions fans to where they see through it and again shortening the leash on this front office and on this head coach like that's just another move signing Jamie Collins that look unless it's a home run I don't know how you I don't know how you go back to the fan base and say no like we trust our guys when you guys haven't been in that organization for five years now the Patriots that is and just continually signing these guys I think it weighs on a fan base more than just going out to sign other guys. And it feels like they haven't picked up on that yet. Isn't it kind of the definition of insanity that you keep doing the same exact thing every single year and still haven't received the benefits of that? I mean, Jamie Collins was let go by Bill Belichick twice now. Can you get a hint? Instead of picking up their scraps, you should try to learn from the Patriots. Move on from a guy a year too early. Don't pick up a guy that Bill Belichick doesn't think is good enough to be on his team right now. Just doesn't make sense. Jamie Collins is, what, 31, 32 right now. He had a solid year last year, but I have low expectations. Desmond Trufant is solid, not as good as Darius Slay. So a unit that was already bad gets even worse. And Chase Daniel, yeah, he's the best backup quarterback since Sean Hill, and hopefully he never sees the field for (laughs) Detroit. So I – Winning free agency means absolutely nothing to me because how many times throughout the years, even before Bob Quinn got there, did you think, wow, the Lions really did a great job in free agency. It's going to really set up well. And then those guys are just busts or they just never put it together. So now we, we look forward to and we'll wrap up Lions with this, uh, a very unique and historic NFL draft coming up next week where uh, no one will be participating in person. It'll all be done virtually. But as it stands right now with a week to go, still going to happen as planned and still going to have all the selections made over three days. Um, every single mock draft that you can find out there has the Lions taking Jeff Okuda from Ohio State, the quarterback or the cornerback, excuse me, at number three. Um, then the, the second round pick with the 35th overall selection varies a little bit. Um, I'll throw it out there, and I'll, I'll probably be immediately rejected for it. There are there are six cornerbacks that get drafted in the first round. Is there any thought 
to trading down if there is someone that wants to offer you something, knowing that there are six first-round graded cornerbacks out there on various draft boards, or do you just need to stay put and draft Okuda, especially after you traded away Darius Slay? I think you absolutely need to trade down. Uh, you need as many bites as the, at the apple as possible, especially for a front office that you don't really trust. Give them more picks. So even if they screw up most of them, they still have a better chance of getting someone decent. Uh, I think we have said this many times. This roster is not one piece away from being a Super Bowl contender. So that's why I think you need to trade down whether it's back five or six picks and you pick up another pick or two in the top 40 range or you trade out of the top 10 completely because you just need so much more talent all around this roster. I, I think the only way I wouldn't trade down is if Chase Young is available at three because I think he's a transcendent talent. I think Jeff Okuda is great, but I think Chase Young can be more of a game changer so if Chase Young is available, you take him. If not, trade down as much as possible and get as many of those top 40 and top 50 picks as possible. I co-sign all of that. Fair enough. Uh, the name that I would like to, the Lions to look at, if he's available with that second-round pick, 35th overall, is Grant Delpit out of LSU. Um, I haven't seen him going high enough where he should still be available for the Lions there in the second round. And just with the way the secondary has been, I know linebacker, essentially the whole defensive unit could, could use some fresh blood at every position. But um, I think Grant Delpit's going in the 40s right now. Um, he's not uh, going to the Lions in any of their projections. But um, coming from just a powerhouse program like that um, at LSU and, and the way that they all played, and, and I just – you, you hear nothing but good things about his play, um, and maybe he's dropping a little bit out of the first round because he, quote-unquote, regressed a little bit in 2019. But I think that's just due to the fact that LSU had such a, a good unit on that side of the ball last year. So the other names, defensive tackle Ross Blacklock out of TCU and outside linebacker Zach Bond from Wisconsin. Those are the names out there in the second round. And, and obviously the Lions need to hit on more than just the first and second round. They've got a whole host of picks, and hopefully on draft night, uh, maybe, Blake, they're, they're coming up with a couple more picks as well. Don't be surprised if within the first three rounds the Lions take a running back. I think that's a position where you have to start thinking ahead because on Johnson hasn't really showed you much. He's been injury-prone his first two seasons. When he's been healthy, he's been fine, but when a guy keeps getting hurt, keeps getting hurt, you think maybe it's more than just a fluke. So. I wouldn't be surprised if the Lions, within the first 90 picks, take a running back. Uh, there, there's a lot of really good ones. Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin really stands out to me, someone like that. I wouldn't be surprised if the Lions reach for them, do a, a tandem backfield, because, I mean, what, you think Bo Scarborough is going to be the future in the oh, backfield? Yeah. I, I, I'm just not sold on on Johnson being durable enough to be the long-term answer for the Lions. Or they trade down and get DeAndre Swift in the first round. Oh. Don't even go cornerback at all. Or just take another tight end. Or draft Tua and just, just go balls to the walls. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, we shift gears next. Uh, more coming along here on the offseason podcast.
This is the Offseason Podcast with ESPN 100.9 FM coming to you a different way this month after going into quarantine uh, back here on Zoom with Brad, Blake, and, uh, and Josh. So let's shift gears and let's talk basketball. We didn't have the Masters, Blake. We don't have to talk at length about no golf, but uh, rest in peace to the Masters. However, it has, it has been moved to November, and if things do improve in the next couple months, Thursday of the Masters will be on my birthday. Um, so may have to make a trip to Augusta, uh, take it in in person. We know a guy who might have an extra bed for us. Yes. Just saying. I've already done the legwork. He, he has not been very helpful. He has been texting back in all caps like normal, so very on brand, but uh, have not uh, gotten much help about sourcing any tickets for the November Masters. He said this year might be a lot different. Uh, they might be going for much higher values than, than they normally do. But – uh, so no Masters. We did get to watch Tigers' uh, victory in 2019 over the weekend. No baseball, obviously. Uh, didn't have Major League Baseball opening day a couple weeks ago. No Loons opening day last week and no home opener this week. So we just continue to wait um, and, and stay in quarantine and, and hopefully things can improve and we can get baseball at some point. Um, although with each passing week, you just it doesn't look very likely. But um, we'll we'll continue to wait and rely on the the medical staff and officials to, to give us the, the words and, and ways to follow. But I do want to talk some basketball. Blake, there was no March Madness this year. I chose to relive it on YouTube with, with every single Michigan State game, seemingly that's ever been played in the NCAA tournament in the last 20 years. So I got my fix that way. But um, it, it's, it's a little unfortunate for, for Michigan State fans, uh, maybe more so than a lot of other fan bases, just because they seem to be uh, kind of like the, the 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 flavor of the week as the conference tournaments were starting. A lot of people were picking Michigan State to be uh, a popular Final Four pick. Uh, Joe Lenardi, I don't even know how he chose to do this, but he did a fake NCAA tournament, and it means absolutely nothing, but Michigan State won the national title, according to Joe Lenardi in his fake tournament. I had to mention it, you know. It's, it happened. Hey, you know, you know, guys are guys are not committing to Michigan, and they still have great recruits. And Juwan Howard's a great coach, and you know, I mean, Michigan's Michigan's a great basketball program right now. Um, oh God. Uh, so I do want to talk Joshua Christopher and Imani Bates. He opts to go to Arizona State. Um, Isaiah Todd decommits, says he's going to play pro. Um, you know, that was kind of a, a bombshell for for Michigan fans, and they. They all thought, and a lot of people thought, all the experts on 24-7 had him, had him crystal balling at Michigan. So everyone thought he was going to be a Wolverine and play for Juwan Howard, and he chose to stay closer to home or chooses to stay closer to home and play with his brother at Arizona State. And it was, uh, it was a bit of a, a letdown, I guess, late, uh, late at night that night when Joshua Christopher committed. One-two punch for Michigan. I actually do feel bad because – this was going to be their best recruiting class in however many years. Looked like Juwan Howard had brought the cachet that maybe John Beeline had lacked in terms of getting those high caliber players. And within 24 hours, they just get boom, boom. And kind of shows how fickle high-end recruiting can be and how much of a crapshoot it is. Michigan State fans know all about it with how many – high-end recruits they've lost out on or have gotten and then decommitted like Caleb Swan again. Like it's just a perpetual roller coaster that 
you want to be on because you want that top talent, but it also sucks. And Michigan, unfortunately, got a taste of it. Just Josh Christopher going out of nowhere to Arizona State. So I, I think they'll be fine. They'll still be better than they were this year, I think, in year two under Juwan Howard. But that's why you don't get your hopes up until the season actually starts. Well, and as we were sitting down, Brad, the news comes out that David DeJulius is, in fact, going to stay in the transfer portal and go to Cincinnati. I think that it just maybe adds insult to injury a little bit. And Michigan fans and college basketball fans probably are thinking, would he have transferred if he knew that the commitments were going to go this route? I mean, he probably would have had a lot more playing time knowing this was going to be coming. Yeah, I, I mean, I uh... – I was on Twitter that night, and I tell you what, I thought Michigan recruiting was going to burn to the ground uh, right. the way that they reacted to some of this news, which, which is fine. I mean, fan bases take this stuff very seriously, especially at that university with a new coach and expectations and, well, nothing else to care about right now necessarily in the sporting world. But, I mean, that news dropping the other night was as big as any recruiting news for the university in a while, no? Yeah, I think so. I mean, judging by the reaction on Twitter, and um, I think it, going back and now reading with the timestamps added to everything, a lot of Michigan fans started to realize the writing on the wall. Like, yeah, okay, it, now it's he's out in the he's out in California. He's not committed. It's ten thirty Eastern, eleven Eastern. He's going to commit on Pacific time, and it wasn't going to go their way. And plus. Ant Wright is a good follow on Twitter that um, I'm not sure if either of you guys follow, but he's a really big recruiting follow and really has the ends specifically with, with the Michigan Wolverines and what they're doing. And even had, he even had the news at like four o'clock that he was probably not going to Michigan. And he says, my guy knows, and, and he knows that he's going to Arizona state. And I think just like any fan base, you don't want to believe it, but you know, it did end up happening the way that he had predicted. So. Well, now they run the risk of possibly losing Isaiah Livers, too, who's got a really big NBA draft decision. And he didn't get to play a whole lot last year, but he was probably their best player when he was healthy and playing. If you lose him as well to the draft, which I don't know what the chances are right now, everything is so messed up with the process that I think it's changing the way a lot of these prospects are thinking about going into the draft. I mean, if they lose him, it's, it's almost like you're losing another top-end recruit and just yet another blow for Michigan. It changes the dynamic of that team completely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it becomes important to try and keep him around. And, and I wonder how the pre-draft process is going to work this year. Do guys like Livers and Xavier Tillman, I'm sure they're hurt by this. I mean, they would probably interview really well. They would probably test really well, and they're not going to get the chance to do that much like a lot of these NFL prospects and guys that, you know, scouts would go see at a random pro day at a, at a division two or division three school, they're not going to get that opportunity anymore. So it'll be very interesting to see both for the NFL draft and NBA draft coming up later in the summer, how, how this whole situation is impacted. But um, Brad did bring it up earlier in the show, Imani Bates uh, named national Gatorade player of the year, the first sophomore to ever win the award um, kind of heard about it through Jason Tatum and Dwayne Wade sending tweets to him um, just with, with not being presented the award in person this year. And um, just kind of goes to show you and solidifies the fact that uh, the notoriety and the comparison of being the best high school prospect since, since LeBron James isn't, isn't 
far off. I mean, just being the, the only sophomore to ever win the award, the hype is definitely real around Imani Bates. And, and he was quoted uh, by Jeff Porzello at ESPN.com as saying, if I can go straight to the NBA out of high school, it's a go for me. So in stone, he wants to go to the NBA. It's the smart decision for him. If the rule allows him to do so, he is going to do it. So any sort of college program holding out hope, Michigan State included, um, you definitely need kind of a, a force of God to have Imani Bates try and play college basketball, it sounds like. No surprise there, really. I mean, yeah. why would he waste his time in any college, Michigan State, Michigan, Kentucky, whatever, when he could be making whatever, five or seven million dollars, whatever the number one pick gets. It's a no-brainer, and I think it should be a no-brainer for the NBA to change the rule. The only way they wouldn't is if enough of the execs say, hey, we don't want to go through the work of scouting high schoolers as well, which was kind of the reason why it was changed way back when. They just didn't like the uncertainty of dealing with guys who were so much younger. But guys like this are the reason why the rule needs to change. And who knows, he might not even go to college if the rule doesn't change. Why wouldn't he just go overseas make a million dollars, and then bounce. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I think the internet in today's world, it's a lot different than it was 15 or 20 years ago when the rule was in place. The internet does all the scouting for you now. You're going to see tons of highlights and at least video of what these guys can do, and you can project their potential from that, and then you can at least target the 10 or 15 guys that are going to be good enough that you need to, to take a look at. I do have – a couple nuggets that if you didn't read the article on ESPN.com, you may not know the answers. And Josh Baker, our producer, has the answers live from his studio, which is a lot more upscale than whatever we have um, where we're recording. But um, Josh has the answers. So I'll pose the question to you guys. Uh, three guys have won the award twice. And, of course, Amani, if he stays in high school in the States, will have the chance to, to win it. Three guys have won National Gatorade Player of the Year twice. Can you name three of them, the three of them? Three guys have done it. Yep. Uh, LeBron. Is that right, Josh? That is one of them, yes. Uh, Brandon Jennings. No. That, that is not one of them. One I think you should be able to get if you really think about it. Um, and then the other, there is a local connection, but it happened later in his career. When did the, when did the award start getting handed out? These are going to be within the last 20 years. So you're going to be able to rule out the you know, guys in the 70s, 80s, 90s, that sort of thing. I was going to guess Kevin Garnett until you said that. Uh, Jabari Parker? No. Ooh. Sebastian Telfair? No. One has a Big Ten connection and one has a Pistons connection. Already said Brandon Jennings. And you were correct with that being an incorrect answer. Doesn't make any sense. Um... I don't know, Jim. Okay, well, there's an Ohio State connection with one of them. Darren Kraft, I'll hang up. No. It's not. Uh, 
Nope. It's, it, a, it's a guy that was projected to be a great NBA player, and due to injuries, it just never panned out. Oh, Greg Oden. Greg yep. Oden. There you go. And uh, one played college basketball at Kentucky and still plays in the NBA today. BK7. Who is? Yep. Brandon Knight. Yep. Yeah, I named all the other bad point guards that I thought was it. Sebastian, Sebastian Telfair as a two-time <laughs> National Player of the Year. That's that's tough. Dude had his own documentary. You would have thought he'd win it twice. Okay, <laughs> yeah, he was now the other, the other quiz, as you can see, is which three guys from Michigan have won it? Now, you're going to need to dip into the history books. Probably not Gatorade Player of the Year, but they've always handed out National Player of the Year. Three guys from the state of Michigan have won it besides Amani Bates. Annette Babers. Can can you name three of them? Uh, and that Babers, yes, no. but not what we're looking for. That is a correct answer, though. Um, three guys from the state. Correct. Chris Weber. Yep. Country Day. Magic. Nope. I, these are going to be tough. There's one Michigan Wolverine and one Michigan State Spartan. I think these will be these will be tough for you guys to get. Can you give us like a five to ten year range when they won it? Uh, or will that give it away? I don't know if it would give it away. One went to Ann Arbor Pioneer and one went to Flint Northwestern. I don't know if that helps at all. Bateen? Jalen? Nope. One's going to be, let's see, I'm trying to, trying to get an accurate time frame here. One's going to be early 2000s for Michigan State. And then I got to look up when this guy played. I don't know the exact time range he played. But we're running low on time, so. Yeah, I give up. All right. Um, played at Michigan from 99 to 2003. The answer is, Josh. Lavelle Blanchard. Went to Ann Arbor Pioneer. I mean, you, he was a good player, Blake. You act like it's like – I've never heard of him. So I've You've never, never heard, heard of Lavelle Blanchard? I've only ever heard of him in like passing, like very – Okay, fair enough. And then um, Kelvin Torbert from Flint Northwestern won it. I would only go. know that name because we're in the region. I, I – Good hey. question, though. Yeah. Figured, figured I would ask. Uh, we do quick hits next to wrap up the show. It's the off-season podcast with ESPN 100.9 FM quarantine edition. Brad, Blake, Josh, and Matt. And we wrap it up like we do every episode, a little lighter than normal, but we do have a couple quick hits that we do want to get to. And, Brad, it starts with Northwood basketball kind of out of nowhere um, maybe internally, obviously a lot more uh, planning happening inside the Northwood Athletic Department, but to the public, kind of out of nowhere, Jeff Reckaway steps down as uh, the men's basketball coach. Yeah, it was surprising. Oh, uh, dog just bit my toe. It was surprising to us, but, uh, you know, I think internally this was something that was being looked at by Rec for a couple of weeks, and even maybe for the last couple of years there, were, there was interest in doing something like this. Um, it is, you know, financially a great situation to do this. And 
and just professionally, he has a passion for Northwood, not just a passion for basketball. So when, when I talked to him, some of the takeaways I had was look like on an everyday basis, he's still going to be able to help the university in probably more ways than he was as just the basketball coach. And he's still going to be able to help the basketball program in, in a good amount of ways too, because what he does is, you know, help with endowments and fundraising and alumni relations and the placement of funds into certain areas of the university. So, you know, he's going to be able to, you know, maybe politically or whatever it is, vie for more dollars to go to certain departments and whether that be the men's basketball program or his friends at the women's basketball program or just athletics in general, knowing how they how important they are to the university. He felt like that was something that he could make a big difference in for the university. And so did Dr. McDonald, uh, the president at Northwood. So he was approached by it. It's a great move for him and his family. Um, other takeaways I had were, you know, um, where does the program go from here? Obviously, as us being the radio affiliate, Lonnie Griffin's going to be in a great position. Things that I didn't really think about is the fact that Lonnie's been a head coach before, not just a head coach, but a college head coach and in the region. So um, he was the head coach at Delta. He has served on uh, coaching staffs at CMU at the Division One level, of course, many years at the Division Two level under a former GLIAC coach of the year in Jeff Reckaway. So he's in a great position. It's a great move for Darvin Ham, who um, has great ties to the region, being from Saginaw, going to Arthur Hill. His father being a head, uh, an assistant coach with the, I think the Bucks now, with uh, Bud's staff, Mike Budenholzer's staff, and uh, so I, I just think it's, I think it's great all around, great for Rec, great for the university, um, and the program itself is going to move forward with Lonnie Griffin. Yeah, and like we talked about at the end of the season, between kind of the three of us off the record, just in the office, you know, this was a good year talent-wise for Northwood, but. You were talking, Brad, kind of just thinking ahead, the future of the program. The next couple of years could be really great for Northwood basketball. Obviously, if this whole situation kind of subsides, we can get back to some sense of normalcy and we're playing college basketball on a normal schedule next winter. I mean, with the classes that are in place, Northwood could be really good maybe in a year or two down the road once again, like they were in a position to go to the NCAA tournament this year. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, both the programs are set up pretty well, men's and women's. But on the men's side in particular, that was a team that was a few possessions here or there away from going to the NCAA tournament this year as an automatic qualifier from the conference tournament. So they played in their first ever GLIAC conference tournament or championship game uh, or the first in you know two decades. And they did that with only two seniors on the roster. And, you know, one of the only one of the seniors played more than 25 minutes a game. So uh, to lose Trey McBride is big. He's one of the best players in program history. But when you look at the sophomore class in particular, Jack Ammerman, who's going to be maybe the top scorer in the conference when he's a senior based on the numbers that he produced on the tail end of this year, former freshman of the year and point guard J.K. Lewis, uh, a guy like Danny Culp, who's a sophomore in that class as well, who had Division One offers as a talent. Uh, and went to Northwood and has already provided a big spark. Like they're they're just going to be really good uh, for for many years, even without Rec there. Yeah, so nice to prop up Lonnie Griffin to take over a program and not you know, leave the cupboard bare, so to speak. You know, Rec right. definitely goes out on top with one of the best seasons in program history. But uh, Lonnie's going to have a lot to work with in his first couple of years uh, at the helm at, at Northwood. And and Blake, I know it is a bit of a downer, but this week was supposed to be the Loons' home opener. We don't get baseball. We don't know when. 
we're going to have baseball back in our lives, but still it's at least been for me uh, a nice welcome distraction today. Lots of fans have been sharing their, their photos and memories of times at the ballpark. And I think it's something that, you know, we've been able to experience over the last week, you know, one, reliving some of these great loons games with the throwback series on the radio station every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. Uh, but also just seeing, you know, the outpouring of, of photos and memories from fans that will hopefully continue for the next couple of days as we continue to celebrate what would have been the loons home opener against the white caps this week. And kind of like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, it just this whole time really allows us to take a step back and truly appreciate sports especially the loons I think the three of us probably take it for granted a lot because there's so many games the season is so long at times it feels like it drags on and we never really appreciate the day-to-day not even just the games but being around the players and the coaching staff and everybody working at the ballpark and just that camaraderie that you build every single year and now not having it makes you think wow I really miss it I'm not going to take it for granted ever again. And it kind of gives you a new appreciation for the loons and for sports in general. And it's really nice to see that the fans of the loons are kind of showing that to us as well. And Josh, it's something that you've come to know and become used to. I mean, every summer you, I mean, for lack of a better term, you give up your summers to, to be at the ballpark with us. You're an integral part of what we do at the radio station and for what Brad and Blake do for home games, you're, you're on the board and you're behind the scenes for every single Loons home game. It's going to be different for you too and maybe have a lot more free time. Whether we can do anything with that free time is, is a different matter, but uh, still something that you'll be going without this year too. Yeah, it's, it's been four. This would have been year four with the radio station starting off the Loons season. And then I did a year with the Loons organization in general with post-event cleanup back in 2016 but coming out of high school, I've basically just been working with the Loons organization and um, with us not having opening day and we'll, who knows when we'll get back. It, it makes me think about uh, the, the people who are coming out of high school, like that would have been, in my case, going into their first year and how that might have impacted them. And then if this happened four years ago, how it would have impacted me because if I didn't go into – um, the post-event cleanup position, I wouldn't have made connections with you guys in the station, and then I wouldn't have gone into the broadcasting career that I've tried to go into now. So it's it's just weird to think of the butterfly effect of what happens when things you thought might have been – like some, some people coming out of high school might have not wanted to do a summer job. They might have been like, okay, cool, I get my summer to not work. But you have no idea what it impacts you down the line. Yeah. For sure. It'll, it'll definitely change the situation for, for everybody involved. And I, I echo, and I think Blake hits the nail on the head, we're all going to have a new appreciation for just about everything. Um, even just a matter of driving across town to have dinner or have a beer with a friend. You can't even do that. Right so it's, it's definitely going to give us a new perspective. A couple of reminders before we get out of here. Um, the Throwback Series is in full swing, um, and, and it continues on Saturday. Uh, Dow Mount Pleasant from the 2019 high school football season will we'll air. That's Brad and Dan Satkowski, I believe, on the call for that. Um, and then next Tuesday, um, that, that game in the 2015 NCAA tournament, Michigan State, Kentucky, in the, the 2005, excuse me, Elite Eight, um, that'll air on Tuesday. 
Loons and Clinton Lumber Kings, the 2016 Midwest League Championship. Brad and Chris Fosters were on the call for that. That'll air on Wednesday, the 22nd. We'll have the NFL Draft on Thursday. And then on Saturday, Heritage and East Lansing, the 2018 Girls Basketball State Championship. So uh, Brad and Blake, Jerry O'Donnell and company have done a, a lot of work to, to get this throwback series off the ground, and it's provided a nice distraction uh, on the radio station uh, during, during this quarantine. The dog is growling and telling me it's time to wrap it up. So I think that's going to do it for, uh, for this month's episode of the podcast. As the quarantine goes on, we'll, we'll see if, uh, if we can get back on maybe after the NFL draft. And but, uh, until then, stay safe, everybody. Stay safe, guys, in, in quarantine. Um, and we'll talk to you uh, next time on the Offseason Podcast. Hey, Clavis, wake up. Let's go, Oh, yeah. Kick it.